HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni, I'm the host, and this is April 14th, Tuesday, 2020. Yes, we're in the middle of the COVID crisis, we're doing remote recordings, and today we're going somewhere, another place, another time. It's only in uh, Oxford, Connecticut, it's called OEC Brewing, and we last went there in 2015. We've got Ben Needhart on and, and some of the crew from Be United, and we're going to be talking about that old style of beer and, and the special place that we all want to be. So let's go around the room and we're going to introduce everyone. Uh, let's just, I'll, I'll say your name and then you say who you are. So let's start with Ben. Hi, I'm Ben. I'm the owner of OEC Brewing and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Ben. Michael. Uh, my name is Michael Opolensky. I work for uh, B United International, the, um, the importing company that's kind of a sister company to OEC Brewing and managing the New York City and New Jersey and Alabama markets. That's great. George? Hey, Jimmy. How you doing? I'm George. Um, I also work for Be United. Um, I am also working in New York City with uh, Michael Opolensky. Great. And Gavin? Hey, guys. Uh, Gavin uh, from Beer Table, but more importantly today, uh, just a big fan of what they're doing at OEC and Be United. So let's go back to the beginning. So, Ben, when you go to OEC, it's in Oxford, Connecticut. It's a beautiful place. There's it is a little farm action. You're, you're growing you know, products and, and fruits. You've got a traditional brewery. Let's tell us about your original inspiration and, you know, what it means to you. There's mysticism there. There's an ancient order of eccentric boilers. <laughs> yeah, so, so when we first started, we kind of, I drew a lot of inspiration from uh, my childhood days. And I, I used to really like um, playing with knights, like, you know, the Lego knights and all that. And so, like, when you look at knights and from that time, there's also a lot of references to alchemy and mysticism and so forth. And that kind of relates to the times back then when they're brewing, because in reality, they didn't know what was causing the beer to ferment or what was even making beer. They would just put it in open vats and they would put it next to other vats that are so-called fermenting. They didn't even know what fermentation was. So they called it boiling. So they put a pot next to another pot so it could learn how to boil. And that, Kind of from all those things that we kind of drew the inspiration for what later became OEC. 
That's great. So, you know, some of those, on your website, it references pre-Reinheitsgebot, pre-industrial brewing. So so what what is that? What, what are uh, technologies that you use? You know, what era are you trying to capture? I mean, the first technology we use is really open fermentation. Then we, we do a lot of things in wood. We try to do things in different materials besides wood, besides just stainless steel like amphora, stone like granite, um, things of that nature. Yeah, and I know you guys um, have made some outstanding beers. So, so some of them to me, when I was there in 2015, I, I got a, it must have been a growler-filled uh, Berliner Weiss that was capped tightly. And literally a year later, uh, a national BJCP judge, who I really respect, she pulled it out of our walk-in at Jimmy's number 43, and she thought it was still tasting perfect. So <laughs> my, my, maybe Michael or, or George, tell us a little bit more about why OEC beers are so good. There, there's a, some, you know, you're, you're able to have vintage beers. Just give us, a, from B United's perspective, give us some backstory on this brewery. Yeah, yeah. Hi, how's it going? Um, so, no, I mean, you know, obviously, um, you know, Ben can, can really say it the best, but... Um, you know, there are obviously few breweries uh, still left in the world that, you know, use all of these old, very historic methods uh, to make beer as it once was. Um, and that's really amazing because obviously uh, Ben and the team are trying to capture a part of this history and, and keep it going in many ways. And, you know, a lot of these flavors that they create there are sort of forgotten um, and things that, again, existed long ago, but no longer do today. And, and Gavin, you know, you, at Beer Table, you guys have had a lot of OEC beers. What, what are a couple of favorites that you want to tell our listeners about? I mean, most recently, uh, we've been tearing through the uh, the Coolship Loggers before we had to close our doors uh, due to COVID. But um, I think one of the most fun things that we did with OEC was back in, I think it was the Monday before Thanksgiving, uh, we had uh, Michael and George in the shop uh, doing the, the premiere of canned Coolship Lager. And it was just madness. Everybody was falling in love with it. Yeah, and guys, how is that working for you guys at Be United? You know, what what other brands do you have in cans? Because cans is kind of saving some of the industry right now. Uh, Michael? Uh, yeah, Jimmy. Um, great question. Uh, we So at Be United, we have this um, a system for importing a lot of our beers that go ultimately into kegs using these um, bulk tank container units, basically shipping uh, the beers via these large um, tanks that were a bit like modified from um, a producer that makes milk tanks in the UK. And uh, these tanks go to the breweries. We fill them up at the breweries. They travel back um, over the ocean to us, um, both temperature and pressure controlled. Uh, when we originally started this system, uh, the liquid that came in would really just be bound to either go into barrels or into kegs. And it was, I want to say about two years, but Ben can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was about two years ago, a year and a half ago that we installed a canning line. And um, and since then, we've slowly started to roll out um, can products. Now, though, that... Um, COVID has come upon us uh, and off-premise seems to be a lot lighter. We're actually starting to move a lot of the liquids that were coming to us anyway via tank and um, via our tank containers um, into can package. So we're launching shortly the Exchlenkele Mertzen, um, which is the, the draft version unfiltered that's going to be um, going into cans. That should be 
um, due state in the States maybe in the next three weeks. Um, we just received a bunch of beers from Cluster Brewery Atal in Germany. Um, a new Mertzen, in fact, that we're launching um, that went into cans. Their curator, their Doppelbach, which we also received in the tank container, is also going into cans. Some other beers from Leipzig, uh, from the Bayerischer Bahnhof. Uh, we're going to be launching some new Hitachino beers in cans just to try to um, support this new like market that's a, that's um, very off-premise focused for the time being, what with the pandemic about. Yeah, no, it's 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 amazing seeing everyone rally. Um, so Ben, just tell us about your system. So when, when you built this little brewery, um, what what system did you put in? Because I know you're inspired by 19th century technologies. Yeah, so of course we put in a a very interesting system. So in some senses it's very modern because you look up at at it and in the middle is like this DJ booth with a computer. But on the other hand, it's very old school. So we we don't even have a whirlpool. So we have to send everything going through the cool ship, which is not standard procedure at all. The uh, main brew house is a two-vessel two system, like a continental German system, where you you mash into the same kettle that you boil in, and then you move the wort over into the lauder tongue to lauder back into the brew kettle. Um, because of that, it m- means that we have to move our mash a lot, so we can do lots of complex mashes, uh, such as decoctions, turbid mashes for kind of lambic style beers and so forth. And then after the boil, since we have no choice and we don't have a whirlpool, we have to send everything through the cool ship. Uh, Even the clean beers, they sit in the cool ship for about an hour to an hour and a half. And then finally, our cooling system is this open kind of counter, it's called the Budelate chiller. It's an open counterflow cooler. So it comes up and the beer cascades down the outside, uh, and the uh, cold water is on the inside and you recollect it as it heats up for the following day for, for brewing. But uh, that's all kind of stuff that hasn't been in, in use for over a hundred years. When we asked the Kaspar Schultz who made the brew house originally to make a Budelate chiller, they said they found plans and they're like, we haven't built one of these in a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, this is Gavin. If you haven't seen a Baudelaire chiller in action, it's really one of the, the prettiest things in beer. T- tell me in your words, Gavin. Um, if you imagine a, a, a kind of a broad ladder of pipework uh, that the beer just really smoothly cascades over, um, uh, it's it ripples in a, just like a gorgeous way. Um, but if uh, Ben, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if you run just water through it, the viscosity isn't high enough that it would just make an absolute mess. Yeah, that's why I was laughing a second ago, because I was going to say when you clean it, it looks terrible. The liquid goes everywhere because the uh, the caustic that you clean it with has no viscosity to it. So it's spraying all over the place and you look <laughs> at it and you're like, how this, how can this thing ever work? And then the wart slowly comes down and then forms these beautiful like little rings as it cascades down. It's really interesting. So, Ben, when you were planning the brewery, uh, how did you learn about the system did you train at any breweries in Germany? Was there anyone coaching you on, on how to make this? So I'd worked at a couple breweries in Europe prior to uh, starting OEC. Just, you know, for short periods of time. I, I spent a little bit of time with Echlenkerle in Bamberg. Uh, I'd spent some time at BFM in Switzerland. Um and then I actually spent a couple of weeks, which was a lot of fun, at our cider producer, DuPont in Normandy. 
But then when, when it came down to building the brew house, we asked a lot of our good breweries for their opinions and suggestions. And it was kind of an amalgamation of tips from a lot of different brewers, including like the Dole in Belgium, um, BFM in Switzerland, uh, Uriga from Germany had some contribution to it. So we took a lot of input and kind of built a system based on that. And then we learned to brew with it. That's great. And, and what were the first beers that you made? Like I said, I, I had the Berlin Revised way back when. What, what were some of the, the first beers you made? Yeah, Exilus is the Berlin Revised. It's one of the first we made. Uh, Tempest, which is like an old world Cezanne. Our inspiration was from back in the day when they used to blend Cezannes with old Lambic barrels they had. And then the other one that we still also have around from back then is Phantasma, which is it's a strong, sour porter. That's great. Um, hey, George, so tell us more about OEC, because I know that it's a special place and, and it's really a unique part of what Be United's done. Yeah, no. And, you know, uh, you know, Michael and I obviously love now that we can sell more OEC in the in the New York market and we're, we're able to get it out a bit more, which is great. I mean, obviously, in the early days, um, you know, the production was was pretty small and limited and it still is. Um, but it's nice to to bring, you know, all of these very historically influenced beers to the market. Um, and I feel like Ben and the, and the team are doing things that not a lot of people are doing where they're focusing on these like more historic uh, mashing regimes and uh, older grains that uh, have sort of fallen out of favor as well as, as Ben mentioned, um, you know, older uh, types of material for aging beer like the Amphora, um, the Solera system um, and the uh, granite fermenters as well. Um, so it offers something that's truly unique, uh, which is, you know, these days, uh, 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 pretty amazing. I mean, what I've always liked about your beers, Ben, is that it's not extreme beer. It's actually really good beer. And how much of that, I want you to talk more. You got to talk more, Ben. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, you know, we, we make a lot of sour beers and that's one of the things we're very well known for. And. When, when dealing with sourness in beer, I very much look at it similar to how I look at spiciness in food. I, I grew up in Germany and it took me about 30 years till I started enjoying spicy food to a, to a certain degree. And now, now I love it. I like really spicy Indian food. I love Thai food and all those things. But my feeling with really spicy food is that I can handle extremely spicy food but the spicier it gets, the more flavor it must have to balance out the spice. And so I look at sourness the same way. You can have a lot of sourness, but the point isn't just to have sourness in beer. You need to have that balanced by different flavor profiles as well. And then in terms of the lagers that we do, the open fermented lagers, uh, I, like, I like my lagers on the drier side, but I also like them not purely based on hop profile. So it also needs to have a, a nice bit of malt, malt body to it. That's great. Uh, Gavin, did you go to OEC today? Because you're, you're, you're staying in Connecticut right now. I am, yeah. I was actually just at OEC around 3 o'clock this afternoon, uh, and I'm enjoying uh, an ether with uh, Haller Taublanc and Laurel right now that's fantastic. And it's really a testament to what Ben was just saying about um, sour, not just for your sour sake, but as a, a an aspect and the kind of kaleidoscope of flavors that are going on. So, Ben, what's the ester? The ester? The beer, uh, your beer called Esther. Oh, the ether. Ether, excuse me. 
Ether, Ether's actually, it, it, we've done it now for, I think, the third time. This is the, the first time we actually just sent some cans out to distribution in Connecticut. Um, but we call it a dry hop sour ale. It's, it's kind of a pale ale base with a little bit of wheat that isn't hopped too highly in the boil. It, I think we only end up with about three IBU. We ferment it with some of our house yeasts. And then we, we dry hop it the first time right before it goes into barrels. So it'll finish primary fermentation. We'll, we'll dry hop it. In this case, we did it with uh, Laurel and Hallertel Blanc. Then we'll let it go in barrels for anywhere from three to six months. And be- because of its, the, the fresh dry hopping, it kind of slows down the bacteria activity, but also lets a lot of the uh, wild yeast play. So it creates a lot of really interesting tropical notes from the uh, Brettanomyces. And then after three or four months or so, it starts to pick up a bit of tartness as well. Then we pull it back out of the barrels. We dry hop it one more time prior to packaging. Wow. And when did, you know, because you, you grew up in a, in a beer import family. When did you decide that, that you wanted to, to have your own brewery? How we talked about it for a while. When we moved up to the building here in 2009 for the import company, we talked about eventually doing it. So we didn't, so we planned for about three years and then finally pulled the trigger and it took about five years till everything was built and came together and we opened in 2014. And Gavin, you were just there today. So, so what's it like? So right now, OEC Brewing, it's just a, a, a to-go brewery. Um, you know, did you, did you drive up? Did you go in? Did you peruse the food that's available? You know, tell us your experience today. Yeah, my girlfriend and I drove up this afternoon. We had to to run some errands uh, kind of just north of where she lives in Hampton. And uh, I thought it was a good opportunity to stock up for for myself and for the podcast. Um, um, It's it's not like the last time I visited. Um, There's lots of uh, cases arranged, ready to go out. Um, I think your staff was getting ready to do some deliveries this week. And it's... uh, um, it was a an artful pivot from the uh, the on premise days. Yeah, and and Ben, so you've responded to the crisis well. Um, you're open seven days a week, but you also have food. There's something about food for people that need it. Yeah, so so that was I have to give all the credit to my wife on that. That was her idea. She we every once in a while go to Restaurant Depot because we're open. You know, usually Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays for on premise and have some food options. And she realized, oh, you know we could just buy a whole bunch of these groceries and make them available. So she's buying a, a weekly selection of fresh produce to go and people's, they come and pick up items are free to take whatever they need, no charge. And we also have some, some remaining supply of toilet paper that we're <laughs> trying to give people who don't have it. You're giving away toilet paper for free? Yep. <laughs> it was a friend of mine. He sent an email. He was joking, but it's true. In New York City, in so many of the stores, there's no toilet paper, but there's paper towels and tissues. So, go figure, America. Um, you know, and, and I want to, you know, take me away to OEC because it's it's a special place. So when I was there, even five years ago, you guys have orchards and you have things growing. What are you doing with? Tell us what you're growing, and then what you're doing with that product in your beer. Yeah, so we have a couple different things. Like you said, we, we have an orchard. Then we have three different greenhouses. And then we have a vineyard. So in our orchard, we have a number of peach trees. 
We have lots of raspberries, red and white. Uh, we have strawberries. Um, then in the greenhouses is where all our citrus fruits are. Uh, we have a whole variety of different ones, anything from calamondine to sour oranges to limes to mayor lemons. Um, and some, we just built a new greenhouse last year, so we have some experimental varieties on different things that, that we hope are going to make it there. We have some guava plants and so forth, things like that. And in the vineyard, we do different types of uh, American grapes, anything from whites to reds. And what are some beers that you're using the fruits in? Our most famous fruited line is uh, Experimentalis, which is only made from fruit that we, we grow on our own property. So... The most recent one we packaged, but we weren't able to release it yet because of the pandemic is, is with our red and white raspberries. Uh, we do a lot of citrus-based ones. Um, one of my favorite is the Mayer Lemon one that we usually do aged in gin barrel. The combination of the citrus character from the Mayer Lemons and the, that the gin barrel is really, really nice. Um, then we do some... Uh, blends or international blends uh, where some of the beer comes from some of our brewers abroad and we blend it with some of our beers that have fruit and some of their beers that have fruit and those come under various names. The most famous line is probably the Oodalus line that uh, uses Hansen's fruited lambake and some of our fruited beer. That sounds great. Hey, Michael, um, get, tell us some a, a really great memory you have of spending time at OEC, at the Be United compound? Well, I mean, like, my time at, it's, so the, the OEC is sort of located at the Be United warehouse. <clears throat> so um, the brewery is sort of in one section, and the surrounding you are these forests. It's very bucolic. Um, the orchards that Ben just described are sort of surrounding the warehouse, the greenhouses and back. Um. I, I guess like one of my favorite recent memories is uh, we recently started a, um, and this is like a long-term project, so nothing that's going to get released this year or probably even next year, but uh, working on a, a a vinegar project in back that was inspired from um, like uh, Italian style balsamic vinegars from Modena. Um, so on this particular day, we were doing that in calza, which is the process where after um, a hot summer, the vinegar is transferred from the larger barrels into the smaller barrel and then that, from that smaller barrel into the next smaller barrel um, in order to then fill the biggest barrel, which will then have the empty space with um, with new uh, liquid for it to then become vinegar. So this day we were tasting the vinegar from the first year's um, uh acidification process and and doing some transfer it was a like a lovely fall day um a little crisp in the air we were like siphoning uh uh vinegar from these barrels and tasting through a lot of different vinegars it was um, a lovely time and this is like a portion a little side project let's say of, of a, what oec is doing so that in particular was uh was a nice great project. and george it, it, you have a special memory of of being at oec oh jimmy you put me on the spot here um, no, you know, I, I, as Michael mentioned, you know, we are up at OEC quite a lot. Um, so, you know, I, I remember, um, a pretty fantastic day, actually very early in my time at Be United, um, when we 
well, OEC sort of lent their brewing system to a, a visiting brewer named Pekka Kariainen, and he is famous for his sati. Uh, he was sort of uh, one of the earliest sati brewers. Uh, well, not the earliest sati brewer, sorry. He has kept it alive, really. Um, and this tradition of sati brewing is so historic. And um, he was one of few people uh, that really kept it going. Uh, so he came to uh, Oxford, Connecticut uh, and brewed on OEC's system, his famous sati. Um, and it was a really incredible day uh, because, of course, he was there, but also there was just a massive blizzard. So we were sort of stuck inside the OEC brew house uh, as Pekka was brewing his sati. Uh, and it was a pretty incredible day. Well, I remember that you had invited a whole number of of. Uh retail accounts and, and, and beer bar buyers, and we, and we couldn't go because of the storm. But we did a show with Pekka, and that's a whole other show. But we've had some really great experiences with you guys. Um, Gavin, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about what I want to drink. So what haul did you get from OEC today? I want to hear everything. <laughs> uh, so we got the, uh, the dry hopped ether, which I'm drinking right now, um, as well as the, uh, the Cool Ship Lager, um, the, the Black Lager uh, that I'm looking forward to cracking into in a few minutes. Uh, I haven't had a chance to try that one yet. I also, from Be United, grabbed uh, some of the Fuchshoff Most uh, German cider. That sounds great. So let's talk about the Cool Ship Lager. Um, you know, Jeff Alworth, uh, Bravana up in uh, Portland, was just saying that because so many breweries are going to be leaving beer in tanks for a while with the COVID crisis, it, he feels like it's going to be a, lo- a lagerization of of beer in america but that's been going on that people have a taste for lager and from when i asked around some of the the manhattan beer bars that i know um like carmine street beers they were like man we we've had the cool ship lager in or good beer nyc on ninth street said we had it on draft we, we we were serving it in growlers so so that's been out there um so What's the energy behind that? Is is this going to be a a product that you're going to make more of? Um, tell us more about the Cool Ship Lager. Who wants to start with that? I, I can start with that if you if you want me to. Um, yeah, it's definitely something we're working on to produce more of. We're actually just finishing up a, a renovation where we added capacity so we could do Cool Ship Lager. Cool Ship Lager is the first beer that OEC is consistently sent to distribution so far at, for package. Uh, so it's, it's a four pack can, 16 ounce cans. And uh, we have three different varieties of it right now. We, we have the regular, the Cool Ship Lager, which is kind of a, we call it a Czech style blonde lager. We use uh, Slovenian hops and some German hops. Uh, we make another version of it called Cool Ship Lager Americana that uses only American style hops. And then like Gavin picked up today the cool ship black or cool ship lager black which is a black style lager that's great we're, we're going to take a short break in a minute but first i want everyone to tell me what beer they're drinking right now so i'm drinking i went to good beer on 9th street and he said oh i had the oec the cool ship lager but not i don't have any more so i got a grim uh from grim invisible touch lager which is drinking nice uh michael what are you drinking I just cracked open a can of Cool Ship Lager America. Good for you. George, what are you drinking? Um, well, I, I went really big and uh, pulled out of my cellar 
a bottle of OEC Odalis Kerasis from 2016. Great. And, and Gavin, you, you told us, but tell us again what you're drinking. Uh, I was drinking the Ether, uh, and I'm just about to take my first couple sips of the Cool Ship Black. Great. And Ben, what are you drinking right now? I'm actually drinking a Cool Ship Lager regular at the moment. That sounds great. I'll tell you, so right now we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency Tart Cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency Tart Cherries are also one of America's superfruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their bright red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile make them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at choosecherries.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni. It's a good time to, to think about supporting the neighborhood groups and, and community organizations that you believe in. I believe in Heritage Radio Network. It's out there providing podcasts and information uh, about restaurants and chefs and important issues of our time. Check it out, heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So uh, we're with uh, Ben and crew from OEC Brewing in, in Connecticut, um, so Ben, you were talking about the lager, the cool ship lager. Let's just go a little more technical. You said it's like a blonde Czech lager. Mm-hmm. So, g- give us the history, give us the traditions, you know, of that. Because I know everyone likes the cool ship lager, mm-hmm. but you know, if I were going to make this, how would I make it? Uh, <laughs> you want me to give away all my secrets? No, a little bit. <laughs> uh, so I call it, we call it a Czech style blonde lager. You know, Czech style, it's kind of like our ter- interpretation of how, how we would do it. It's, so it's a little bit different. Um, first of all, it makes it kind of Czech in style because Czech lager should be open fermented. And uh, not a lot of breweries are able to open ferment anymore or choose not to because it's it's a bit more difficult. Um, but Cool Ship Lager is, is open fermented. The other thing is, like I said earlier, we have to go through the cool ship. So we don't have a choice. We we don't have a whirlpool. So it does go into the cool ship. It goes for the cool ship about an hour and 15 minutes then goes over the open counterflow cooler right into the open fermenter. Uh, 
then it, the, the, from the open fermentation lasts about nine days. And then we go down and we lager for an additional seven weeks. And then you feel that a good lager has to take some time. Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. It, interestingly enough, like I was saying, uh, we just came off a big renovation. When we first started brewing lager, we weren't set up at all to do it. But we wanted to start brewing some and have some fun with it. We were really set up as a Cezanne brewery. So it, it took us a while to figure out how to how to get our lager brewing down. And so we've made a lot of adjustments. And with, the, with this new renovation, we brought in a number of new tanks as well. And I'm really excited also to the changes we've made with it over time. When we first started brewing Kulship Lager, we were using um, German malts, but now it uses traditional uh, Czech-style spring barley as malt as well. You know, when you talk about open fermenting and the Kulship, which is also open air, do you feel like there's, there's things that you can do in the country setting that brewers can't do in, in, in the city? Or do you feel like could, could a brewer in the city do a cool ship and open fermentation, you know, based on what's in the air and everything else? Uh, I, th- I think you could do it in the city. You can definitely do open fermentation in the city. I mean, the problem with the cool ship is it throws off a lot of hot air. So you, you have to kind of get, get rid of that, right? So you, it can give you moisture problems. But I, th- I think if you're in a city, you can do it. I mean, look at, look at a brewery like... Urge, they're in downtown um, Düsseldorf, and they have a cool ship. Well, and I think if I can butt in here, um, you know, one of the things that I hear a lot from accounts uh, when I talk about cool ship lager um, is they they think that it's sour, um, and part of that is because OEC is obviously known for their sour beers, but there's also a misconception about the cool ship and open fermentation where people assume that th- this means that it's sour. And that's not the case. Uh, cool ship does not equal sour. You know, it's just a very old type of heat exchanger, really. Um, people obviously equate uh, sour beer with the cool ship because of Lambic and that history. Uh, but the cool ship used to be the most common heat exchanger historically. Uh, but it doesn't mean that the beer is sour. That's great, George. Um Gavin, uh, anything to add to that? Um, just to, you know, tie on to what George says, yeah, of course people, you know, see OEC and tend to assume sour. Um, and, uh, the word cool ship, uh, also contributes to that. I think people, you know, who know what a cool ship is are familiar with it via most often, I would say Cantillon or, uh, Allagash just because a lot of their, media presence it kind of circulates around their their cool ships and like you know the drama of the, that brewing step um uh, also ben i just uh, started drinking the uh, cool ship black and it's phenomenal thank you <laughs> yeah ben it's, it seems that to, for me well now it's spring but it seems that black lagers schwarz beers are the are the beer of of the year i the, we it's the first time we did it so I, I hope it's successful. I, you, you know, it, it's, it's funny um, because I do feel like black lager is going to s- start coming back a bit. Um, it, it's, you haven't seen too many Schwartz beers around anymore. And, you know, you don't, you don't really see too many Czech style black lagers, but it's a, it's a really nice style because you get a little bit of that dark beer feel, but it, it's still very drinkable and very enjoyable. 
I, I definitely think it can make a comeback this year. And uh, George or Michael, so in your B United portfolio, I know we did a show last year with some Czech loggers. Do you have, uh, you know, black or amber colored loggers Negative. coming in from Czech? We have, um, no, nothing. In, actually, no, I take it back. We did bring in one dark lager last year from uh, the brewery Hostemice. Uh, it was not black, though. It was more like a... I'd call it a Czech dark lager, but I wouldn't put it so far as to say it was um, in the black department. I don't think they use roasted malt in that recipe. That was all draft bound, though. Um, if you recall from that show, uh, because all those beers were unpasteurized, we were they were bound for only kegs. Uh, they came in that one time last year, the dark ones. We brought back uh, the 12-degree uh, Bohemian lager from Unatitia. Uh, that landed recently, in fact. And now, what with the pandemic, we've been actually doing small canning runs of uh, of that beer, um, just like uh, a few cases per run canning um, for accounts that are interested and willing to consume in the short term, as it's not a beer that you really want to put on your shelf and leave for, for weeks or months as it'll start to turn. Yeah. Well, let's talk about vintage beer. So, um, Ben... You, you guys have been showcasing on your Instagram that you're selling vintage beers. Is that just because of the, the COVID crisis and you're, you, want, you want to move some inventory? Or, or do you always have vintage beers on sale? Uh, there, there are two reasons for it. The, the, the first reason is that uh, due to our renovation, like towards the end of last year, we're really strapped on inventory. I have almost nothing left. So then the question is, well, what do we do? Oh, we have some vintage beer. So, and the second reason is they age really nicely. Um, and then actually the third reason, there are three, is that, yes, the crisis is happening. So we're giving people an opportunity to come, come and buy them. So, so which beers have you focused on aging? Uh, we age, I, all the ones we age are sours. And we have a, Pretty decent, decent size vintage seller, but it's actually depleting fairly quickly. So we're gonna have to uh, run more vintage this year again. And then, uh, so are you also selling vintage beers through Be United or just through the through your brewery directly? Uh, for Be United, we every once in a while do some vintage kegs, especially for special events, but. Uh, Right now, because of the pandemic, uh, there's no draft business. Yeah. And then, Gavin, you know, at, at, when you're at beer table, you're a buyer. You know, you're really on top of the retail market. Um, I want you to ask Ben a couple questions. Just pretend, you know, you're, you're a buyer. Or you can ask it of George or Michael. Um, some questions that you as a buyer would be asking about something like the, the, the Cool Ship Black Lager. Oh, man. Um Huh. <laughs> uh, price, pricing and format aside, uh, I would probably get into, um, you know, before tasting it, um, you know, uh, what the, the, what beers it was similar to, um, what the inspiration behind it was, and, um, I don't know, kind of like a, like shorthand for, um, for me to know what my customers should expect. I think that's probably the, the quickest way uh, without tasting a beer to, to get into it. Who wants to take that, George or Michael? 
I think I'd defer to Ben on that one. If uh... Yeah, I, I can take this one because this is the first batch of it we've done. But uh, the Cool Ship Lager Black is, it's a cross style-wise between a Czech-style dark lager and, and a German-style Schwarzbier. So it has some elements of both and kind of runs right in between that line. So you're getting that dark color, almost black from a Schwarzbier, but you're getting a little bit richer character in the middle, a little bit more fruitiness from the Czech style dark, while also still being about 5.3, and still very drinkable. You know, go, yeah, go, just keep going. Go. Uh, finally tasting it now, like, you know, yeah, you definitely hit the nail on the head. Um, definitely like plum through the middle, but um, like a dry, almost burnt caramel finish with just a touch of bitterness to clean it off, which is um, not too heavy on the palate, but also not watery. It's uh, it's it's really perfect, especially for the uh, for the early spring weather. You know, this is great, guys. Before we wrap it up, I want to ask one more question of Ben and anyone else can join in. Uh, also, when when you put together the the name OEC, the Order of Eccentric, translated to Boiler. And, and you can read about it on your website, OEC Brewing. There's so much to say. But I love that you talked about there's a mysticism of flavor and aroma. And let, let's end on that. Who wants to go deep on mysticism of flavor and aroma? That's another tough question, Jimmy. <laughs> it's it's just mysticism's mysticism, right? You can't... <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, uh, if I can go from like a, a you know... A, professional taster's point of view, I, uh, with, with little technical expertise, um, I would say that, you know, you can give any number of brewers the same or similar equipment and ingredients and have, uh, end results that vary wildly. And I think that kind of, you know, is, is the magic of, of beer is the magic of brewing. Um, and, you know, we've had, uh, to speak to the, you know, the popularity of black lager, uh, this year, We've had half a dozen different black lagers from people as, you know, from uh, uh, Munchoff in Germany, uh, Grimm in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, you know, Pipeworks in Chicago, and now the I'm trying the OEC. Uh, and uh, while they do have their similarities, they're all uh, wildly different and uh, equally satisfying in their own different ways. No, that's great. I mean, you guys have been really great, and thanks for coming on. And Ben, anything else you want to say before we sign off? No, I I just hope everyone is doing okay through this time. It's you know, it's not su- such a nice time right now, but I mean, if I look outside right now, the sun is coming back out, and I think at some point we'll make it through this. And and give us a shout out to your crew. I've seen pictures on Instagram. Tell us who the brewer is. There's some guy with a big beard that's in all the Instagram photos. Who are these people? Yeah, apparently I hire brewers that can all grow bigger beards than I can because I can't grow any. <laughs> uh, so the, the the biggest beard I think belongs to Tony. It depends on the day, but that's Tony. Uh, he's an assistant brewer, but he is also one of our uh, he's also our lead sales guy in Connecticut. Uh, Matt is the other one, uh, an assistant brewer. Uh, Clark doesn't have a beard, and he he's uh, he's the the head blender at the moment. That's great. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Let's go around one more time. Everyone say their name. So let's start with Ben. Ben, say your full name, please. Ben Neidhart. And where are you from? I'm from Connecticut. <laughs> Michael? Um, Michael Opolensky. 
and uh, I live in Brooklyn. I work for B United. George, uh, this is George. <laughs> um, yeah, from uh, from New York, and I work for B United. Great. And Gavin, I'm Gavin Murphy. I'm uh, I live in Brooklyn, sequestered in Connecticut, and I work for Beer Table. You guys have been great. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks so much for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, and engineer, Matt Patterson, who are making this happen while we're all remotely. Again, we had people in Connecticut, Brooklyn, and East Village, and Massachusetts, and Rhode Island on the show. So it's amazing work that's been being done. Support heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, everybody. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.